want to welcome you today. Uh, thank you for joining our ministry. I hope the Lord is blessing you in your life and all that you're engaged in. Today, if you have your Bible, if you'll take it and turn to the book of Matthew chapter 4, I believe the Lord has a great message for you. As we are beginning our new sermon series that is dealing with directions and who will you follow. Today, I hope the Lord will bless your heart. In Matthew 4 and 18, now stay with me for a moment. I know this is a familiar passage of Scripture. I know you have listened to far more eloquent and educated preachers than myself wax eloquent over this passage of Scripture. However, just bear with me for a moment because there's a couple things that I believe I might can give some fresh revelation to. Now here's what it says. I'm going to read through it and then come back and make three points about it. As he was walking, that being Jesus... Along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. Their names were Simon, who was called Peter, and the other brother was called Andrew. And they were casting their nets into the deep because they were fishermen. Now, Jesus said to them, follow me. And he told them, I will make you fish for people and not just fish. Verse 20 says, and immediately they left their nets and followed Jesus. Going on from there, Jesus, Peter, Andrew, they saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother, John. Now, they were in a boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them, and immediately they also followed. Now, Jesus was going all over Galilee by himself and now with these four guys. And now they were, he was teaching in the synagogues. And they were preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and sickness among the people. Then the news about him began to spread throughout Syria. And so they brought to him. Let me stop right there. Because with all that's going on in Israel, there's a lot of talk about Syria. Syria, this has nothing to do with my sermon, but I'm going to give it to you. Syria is the oldest city to have never been destroyed and to still be under the original name going all the way back to Genesis. So when they're talking about Syria on the news this week, understand it's that same Syria had Jesus walked down the streets. He walked through the streets healing the sick, setting them free. I'll move on now. So they brought all those people out to him, and they were those who were afflicted, those who were suffering from various diseases, intense pains. The demon-possessed, the epileptic, and the paralytics were all healed. And large crowds followed him from Galilee through Judea and beyond the Jordan. Now the key word is followed. In this passage of scripture, the interesting thing is that over 267 times in the Bible, the word follow is mentioned. Jesus didn't have to drive the crowds where he was going. But they followed him. They were following Jesus. He looked at those first two disciples, Andrew and Peter, and he said, hey guys, follow me. He looked at the next two, the sons of Zebedee, and said, 
follow me. I love this word follow because it's so powerful. One of the greatest pictures of it is found in the book of Job. You may remember in the book of Job when you read that book, you may remember that Job cried out several times in the beginning of that book and he said, oh, I wish there was a mediator. I wish there was a daysman or an umpire that could put his hand on me and his hand on God and talk to God for me so we can figure out what's going on. And so Job goes through this whole thing for a while and then all of a sudden towards the end of the book of Job, all of a sudden God says, okay, Job, you want to talk to me? I'll talk to you. But before you speak to me, let me lay out my case. And so, man, he starts asking Job questions like, man, were you there? When the morning star, when the morning star and the sun sang with joy and gladness. Were you there when I laid out the foundations of the earth? Were you there when all these things were taking place? And then, I love it. In Job chapter 39 and verse 9, <clears throat> he comes over there and he says, Okay, <clears throat> before you speak, Job, let me ask you this question. Do you get behind the oxen and plow? Or do you plow from in front of the oxen? Now, boy, that's a question that sent Job on his head. Well, everybody knows that you have to be behind the oxen to direct it. But God says, Job, I want you to know, far as I'm concerned... I don't get behind the oxen, but I stand in front of the oxen and I direct the ox where to go from the head forward and not the tail forward. Job, you have to drive the oxen, but I lead him. Job, you have to steer the oxen, but the oxen follows me. I, I love the story in, 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 in the book of 1 Samuel. When the Philistines captured the ark, and it was, I mean, the power of God was afflicting the Philistines, and they're like, we got to get rid of this ark. And so, man, they took two old milk cows who had never been hitched to a cart before, which meant they didn't know what to do with the cart when they were hitched to it. And all of a sudden, they had milk cow faith, and the cart that was placed behind the milk cows, it was hitched to the milk cows, went right back to the people of God because it was directed by the finger of God and the God of the heavens was directing two old milk cows. Now, if he could do that with two old milk cows, what could he do with you? What could he do with me? Jesus says, follow me. He didn't say, I'm going to force you to follow me. He didn't say this is a shotgun marriage. He didn't say that I'm going to make you be little mini-me's or little robots and, and, and just have to do what I'm forcing you to do. No, he said, I want you to follow me because you love me. You round up cattle. You herd cats. But you lead sheep. And Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The sheep hear my voice and follow me. Follow me. And I am telling you today that as you're going through this world, the question is, who are you following? You say, oh, I'm not following anybody. I talked to this guy this week. He had dropped out of school. And so uh, he's dropped out of school. He's having some challenges at home. 
And so we're trying to navigate through the family dynamics, and I'm like, let's get to the real issue here. Why did you quit school? I mean, you're not a dumb boy. You're, you're not handicapped. Why would you quit school? He says, I just don't like anybody telling me what to do. And I said, son, even when you become the president of the United States, there's people to tell you what to do. When you become the most powerful person in the world, you're still following people. So regardless, if you're the most powerful man in all the world, or you're just a teenager in high school, you've got to be following somebody. The question is, who is it? I could illustrate it this way. And if you have your smartphone, you may want to tweet this. I normally don't say tweetable things, but this probably might make the cut. Show me who has your ear, and I'll show you where you're going. Show me who you're listening to, and I'll tell you where you're headed. Show me that place, show me that spot, and I'll tell you where you're going. You say, oh no, preacher, I'd never go there. Oh yeah? Many people said I'd have never went there, but they went there. Why? Because it was the people who had their ear. It was the people who was investing in them. The people who were pouring into them was the people that they were following. They had the influence of their life. Because they had the influence of their life, they led them to a place where they never intended to go. And they stayed there longer than they ever thought they would stay. And it cost them a whole lot more than they ever thought they wanted to pay. I remember as a young very early teenager, maybe even a preteen. There was this guy who dropped out of high school. Yet, when he, when, when he was my father's age, him and my dad started school together, and he dropped out of school in the second grade. And I can remember as a young teenager, that I remember this conversation. I mean, this guy knew all the congressmen, knew all the senators, he knew the governor. He knew all kind of people of power, influence, and prestige. And and I remember, I, remember, I remember he came to the rice field one day with a sack full of $100 bills. Now, I don't know where he got them from, but nevertheless, I remember my father asking him this question. He said, how in the world did you get to where you are? And he said, well, I just always surrounded myself with people who were smarter than me and followed them. Who are you following? What direction will you be going? You could say, oh no, I'm not that kind of person. I'm not influenceable. But I'm telling you today that somebody is going to influence you. And there's three things that I want to show you about this passage of Scripture. As a matter of fact, they're on my highway sign right here behind me. It's your dreams, your dynasty, or your destiny. Which one of those are you following? There are three roads. Every man, woman, boy, and girl has to choose one. And you have to continually choose them. It's not a once and for all decision. You have to make that decision and follow through. And then a little bit later, you have another decision to make and you can follow through. And then you can make another decision and follow through. And you've got to decide what is it. Now, you know I'm just a very simple-minded preacher. So I took the liberty to look these words up. I want to read them for you. I, I'm just intrigued by definitions because so many times I think I know the meaning and I really don't. So look at what this first definition of destiny is. It's something that is to happen or has happened to a particular person, lot or fortune, 
the predetermined, unusually inevitable, irresistible course of events. Now let's camp out on that last part. Usually, usually they're predetermined, usually inevitable, irresistible. Circle that. Irresistible course of events. You say, well, I don't have anything to circle it on. Well, write it down. <laughs> Irresistible course of events. The next word, look at this. Go a little bit further with me. Not just your destiny, but look at what a dream is. A succession of images or thoughts or emotion passing through the mind during sleep. He said, preacher, everybody knows what that is. I can't believe you had to look that up. Well, stay with me. It's a vision voluntarily indulged in while awake, daydreaming. An aspiration or a goal. But here's what I wanted to see if it made the cut. A wild fancy. Something of unreal beauty or charm. Interesting, isn't it? Now let's look. Look at what this is saying here. Now look at the last one. What is a dynasty? You're thinking J.R. Ewing, for those who are older. The rest of you, God love you. I don't know who you're thinking about. A sequence of rulers for the same family or stock. Now let's just stop right there. Am I the only one who has had this thought recently? Can we just have another president who's not going to be a Clinton or a Bush? I mean, come on. Are there no other families in America? I mean, it's like Hillary Clinton's going to run. Jeb Bush is going to run. I'm thinking everybody else want to run for the hills. Let's just get somebody else. I mean, regardless of your political affiliation, out of all the families in America, can there not be another one? Amen? Maybe I'm the only one thinking that. Forgive me. But it's, it's this pedigree thing. It's a, it's a same family, the same stock or group. A series of members of family who are distinguished. This is the second definition. Family members who are distinguished because of their success or wealth. Now, here's the thing about it. Every man, woman, boy, and girl from these four men who were fishermen to you sitting out there today and you watching at home have the same decision and struggles that these guys have. They were all part of a family dynasty. I mean, the, two of these guys were out there at Zebedee and Sons Fishing Company. I mean, they were out there with their father, and don't you know their father had some dreams? Boy, if I can just get my boys in the business, then I don't, we won't just have this one boat. Then each one of those boys can have a boat, and that'll be three boats. And then if they have some boys, we can raise them up, and all of a sudden, I, I, who knows how many fishing vessels. we Man, we'll have a whole fleet. We can feed all the people in the city and put everybody else out of business. Capitalism. I mean, it was working. Zebedee was out there with his sons. The other boys were out there with their father. They were part of a family dynasty. A predetermined course. A predetermined set of actions. 
But now as they're out there going through this process over and over, don't you know there was a whole lot daydreaming? I remember, listen, I remember as a boy, growing up on the farm, and I was sitting there on my tractor, and I would see that crop duster flying around, and I thought, boy, doesn't he have it made. I'm down here in turtle speed, and there he is soaring around like on a roller coaster. I thought, man, if I could just ever be a crop duster. And then came that most dreaded time of the year. Back in the day, before they had these automatic things that would flag the crop dusters, we would literally have to get out there. And, and the funnest part for me, if I, if I could just digress for a moment, the funnest part for me would be we would load the airplanes on the airstrip and we would jump in the truck and drive as fast as we could to the field to try to beat the airplane. Now, I know that may not humor you much, but it's pretty cool for me as a boy. But then it was so miserable because I would have to take this white sheet on two poles and I would get out there and my job and my brother's job was to step off the distance of the airplane and to stand there with this huge flag and wave it when he was coming and to watch this cool dude dip down over the high lines and then some of them were really cool, and they'd try to go under them. And so the crazy was, and so, man, we were watching this, and there I am just flagging. I said, oh, if I could just be a crop duster. And then all of a sudden, you'd get pelted by the things he was putting out, so you'd take cover under your bed sheet and then move on your next 40 steps. Oh, Lord, if I could just ever be a crop duster, I'd have it made. You ever daydream like that? Come on, I know I'm not the only one up in here. Amen. There's this daydreaming process. Now, dreams aren't bad because dreams will normally be connected to your destiny. The definition of a dream. See, our English language is so simple. It, it, it has one word for multiple meanings. You see, it could just be something you're thinking about. that you sleep and it has nothing to do with anything. That's a dream. And it could be a goal or a vision, your dream. Or it could be just a wild fancy, which would better be known as a daydream. A daydream will send you in the tank. A dream of value or goals will normally be connected to your destiny. But what is a destiny? A destiny, go back to it. It's the predetermined course of events. Now, I want you to know something. The Bible says in the book of Isaiah that while you are in your mother's womb, the matrix of her womb, and she was reading the baby books thinking, oh my goodness, what am I going to name my baby boy? What am I going to name? I need to pick out two because it may be a boy, it may be a girl. I need to have a, a, a name and a B name. And then what if I get the name and he doesn't look like that when he gets it? Oh my... Oh. While your mother and father were stumbling around looking for the cool baby name of their day, God was in the portal of glory calling your name out before your mom and dad ever knew what it was. The Bible also says in the book of Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 1 that while you were in the, he said, Jeremiah, while you were in your mother's womb, I ordained you. We had the ordination service before man ever got a hold of you. I ordained you as a prophet before the Baptist ever got you. I ordained you before man approved, I ordained. And I sanctified you. I, set you. I set you aside for your intended purpose. Now here's what I want you to understand. That before you ever were, you already was. 
There's something you can tweet. That's two in one service. Before you ever were to God, you already was. Before your mother ever helped you, God already knew your destiny. Before your mother ever changed your bottom one time, God already knew what you were destined for. And you got to determine, am I headed for a daydream? Am I headed for a family dynasty? Or am I going for a heavenly destiny? Now, dynasties aren't always bad because some people's dynasties may be connected to their destiny. So let me set the record straight on that. But if your dynasty is just because you're lazy and you don't want to explore what your destiny may be, you need to be careful that you don't miss the very reason God created you. Most, genera- most family businesses never make it past the third generation. Because it started out Zebedee and Sons Fishing Company. And the sons had to fish whether they wanted to or not. They had to fish when the fishing was good. They had to fish when the fishing was bad. And when they got through fishing, they had to work all night mending the nets. And they built that business from the sweat of their brow, the blood of their hands, blood, sweat, and tears. That Zebedee built that fishing company. And son Zebedees had to go along with the fishing company even when they didn't want to. I used to get so mad when I became a teenager because my birthday was in October, the middle of harvest time, and I'd have to leave my birthday party and go to work because I was part of a family dynasty. Family farmers carrying on, carrying on. I was like, man, why can't I just be like everybody else? And so this whole thing, what God was saying, what God was doing, what God was implementing was he was, listen, people get bogged down in the dynasty and many of them stay there just because it's easy. Because all they ever knew was the inside of a fishing boat, all they ever thought they may could have been was fishermen. And so many people settle because, all, number one, Zebedee and Sons Fishing Company is pretty cool because you already had a job. You already had it made, you already had it figured out, and it's already providing for you. But because many people stay at Zebedee and Sons Fishing Company for their whole life, they resent it. And so then when they have children, they say, son, there's no way you're staying here with this family dynasty. I resent my daddy, now I need counseling, and now I need Xanax to help me get through a day because I was forced to do what daddy told me I always had to do, and I could never be what I really wanted to be, and now I'm scarred for life. But now you, son, I'm old. I'm set for life. Why don't we just sell this stupid fishing company to the Chinese and let's go live on vacation. And that, my friends, is how the Chinese has bought up most of America. It's a law of being fed up with. See, one generation built it. One had to maintain it. And the third one says, I'm going to do something else. See, you don't have to stay where you weren't destined to be. What God destined for your parents isn't necessarily what he's destined for you. See, I'm still part of the family dynasty. 
You see, farming goes back generation after generation in my family, and I'm still part of it. We're just raising other things, amen? We're just sowing other seeds. We're just planting other crops. We're just making a difference in different areas, but the harvest is still the harvest, and the workers are still few, amen? See, if you're not careful, you'll be so busy trying to be somebody you're not that you'll miss who you were supposed to be. And before you ever were, God already knew who you was. The question is, what will it take for you to be there? Now, the thing you have to be careful of is all this daydreaming business. Now, the dream will normally connect to the destiny. Go and read, if you would, the life of Joseph. The dream that he had while he was sleeping, connected to his destiny. A dream will connect to the destiny, but it's that word that we, it's the word we get daydreaming from that'll wreck you. Because see, daydreaming is always something different. It's always something of a different nature. But what I want you to understand today is that daydreaming is the last part of that definition. It's wild, it's fancy. It's charming, it's alluring. Matter of fact, when we think about this today and we try to connect the dots, I could summarize it this way. These men could have chased dreams or they could have chosen to embrace their dynasty or they could have instead embraced their destiny. In closing, chasing dreams seems exciting. It seems a little wild and fancy. Charming and alluring. The dynasty, oh my gosh, it's so ordinary. It's so familiar. It's so predictable. I mean, boy, as a young man, a teenager, I hated July. It's so hot. And August is so hot. The middle of the corn harvest. I could not wait for school to start. Three weeks into it, I was like, could I just go back to the corn harvest? So unpleasable. But it was so predictable, so dusty, so hot, so hard, so long, but so prosperous. But then the destiny. Most people will never achieve their destiny because it's so unsecure. It's so unstable. And it's so unpredictable. And many times... To achieve your destiny, you have to stick a knife in your dynasty and your daydreaming. Now, here's the thing I want to go back to this scripture about. It doesn't say these guys were miserable with the family business. And it doesn't say they daydream. But I tell you what I do know from studying psychology. That there's nothing new under the sun. And the way you and I think is the way they thought back then. And there ain't a person in here who hadn't had a good daydream that thought, boy, I wish I was doing something else. You may not have been crop dusting, but it was something else that you were wishing you were doing. There isn't a person in here who wasn't maybe forced to try to have to live out your parents' expectations. Maybe it wasn't a repeated generational expectation, but maybe it was like this. Now, son, I never got a college degree, and if you don't get a college degree, bless God, you're cut off. And maybe it's your parents trying to live what they never could be through your life, trying to start a dynasty. But there's a dynasty. It just may not all be that successful. 
And what do you want to be caught up in? What cycle of life do you want to be caught up in? As we've gone through this sermon today, if you find yourself conflicted, not knowing which way to go, would you please give us the honor at Family of Grace to be able to help you in that journey? Let us pray for you. Let us help believe God with you and for you and all that he has. But right where you are, you just have to begin to confess and say, Lord Jesus, I know that you have a direction for my life. Help me to follow it. And I know that God will give you the word that you need. May the Lord richly bless your heart as you go through this endeavor in your life. May God bless you.